Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word which calls us to follow Jesus, to know him as Lord and Savior. I pray this morning through the power of the Holy Spirit that we all hear that call through your word this morning. No turning back, no turning back. So guide us in this message. Guide me. Let the words I speak be your words. Let them be pleasing in your sight. In Jesus' name, amen. So we're in this series called The Ministry of Jesus. And uh, last week we talked about a point of demarcation. So there's a point in one's faith that you could say there's a difference between that day and another day. Demarcations in our walk of faith. And I've had a number of them along the way. It's not just like you get once and then you're done. There's a number along the way, and I thought I'd share one with you. So when I was in my early 30s, uh, I was a professional makeup artist. For those who don't know that, yes, I've taken the road less traveled to get here. And I, I did film, television, photography. And, and by the way, ladies, no, I don't look at your makeup. Okay? I'm more interested in who you are than what you look like. Seriously. Okay, got to get that out of the way because all the other ladies are going, oh, no. <laughs> okay, so I was on this, what they call a public service announcement commercial. And it was about the vitality of senior citizens. And on this particular commercial, uh, there was a retired Baptist preacher, David Wada. And during a lunch break on this commercial, we sat down and started to talk about faith. And he had asked me if I ever had received Jesus as Lord and Savior. And you know, I had been uh, awakening in my faith for a while here. I had been starting to read the Bible. Um, I never considered myself not saved, so it wasn't a question about that. But it just struck me. It's like, you know what? I don't think I've ever consciously said, Jesus is my Lord and Savior. And it was just like this thought. It's not like the heavens opened up and Jesus descended on the clouds. I, there wasn't this, this huge wave of emotion. I didn't break down in tears or anything, but it was like, you know what? I don't, I don't think I've ever consciously said that. And that was a point of demarcation in my life. That's like one of those milestones in your life, your walk of faith that you have. And I've had a number of them along the way. And the disciples had a number of them along the way. And so today we're going to go into the call of the disciples. Because there was a point where they weren't disciples, and then they were. It was a point of demarcation. And so if you want to sum up in one sentence what we're going to be covering, it is this. God calls the unlikely sinners to follow him now. We're going to do this in four parts. God, God calls the unlikely sinners to follow him now. That's what we're covering this morning. So we are going to focus in the text on Matthew, 
and but we're also going to cross-reference Luke chapter 5 because they are uh, uh, accounts of the same calling. Luke just has a little bit more detail than Matthew does. So we're going to begin with Matthew chapter 4, verse 18. While walking by the Sea of Galilee, Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. So from Luke's gospel, we know that it was the village of Gennesaret. So it's on the west-hand side, the yellow circle kind of point. That's where we talked about last week was Capernaum. So in the red boxed square, or rectangle, that's where Gennesaret is. Now, it was on the Sea of Galilee. And here's where I have to make a correction. Because last week, I talked about the Sea of Galilee being 25 miles by 50 miles. And that's not right. Um, In my mind, I conflated the larger area of Galilee. So the larger area of Galilee is about 25 miles wide, 50 miles high. And so you had 240 villages or whatever it was with about 3 million people in the larger area of Galilee. So if this was a geography test, I flunked, okay? I just confused it. The Sea of Galilee itself is about approximately 7 miles wide, 12 12 miles tall, okay? Yes, I make mistakes even in sermons. So, like I said, trust Scripture and then check me on it. But, if you recall, I talked about how beautiful the area of Galilee was. So, this is what the, from the Mount of Beatitudes looking towards the plain of Gennesaret, this is what it looks like today. It's beautiful. And the plain of Gennesaret was called the Paradise of Galilee. So that's the setting. It's early morning. Uh, Jesus is there by the sea. And he sees two brothers, Simon, who's also called Peter, and Andrew's brother. And so he calls to them. Now, Matthew's account is pretty sparse. Uh, it doesn't give a whole lot other than that ultimately Jesus goes to them and calls them. Now, if you don't understand how disciples and rabbis got together, for that's what Jesus was. He was a rabbi, a teacher. It just seems kind of ordinary. But for a rabbi to do that with fishermen was out of the ordinary. So for Jesus, he didn't follow the normal pattern of calling disciples, which is going to be important for you and me to realize this. He does not follow the normal pattern of calling disciples. Let me give you some information about this. So, being a rabbi, a disciple of a rabbi, was really important to the observant young men in Israel. To be a rabbi was the highest of the callings that that they could have. And it was normally that the disciples would pick the rabbi, not the other way around. And they, I mean, they studied from a very young age. So from some uh, research that I did, uh, it says uh, the observant young Jewish boys, the highest aim was to be a rabbi, 
And they started studying in the synagogue at age five. Okay? And the hope, the dream, at one point was not just to be a disciple, but to be a rabbi. And so they worked hard at it. And they would often memorize the whole Torah, the first five books of the Bible. Can you imagine if I gave you a quiz right now? Like we'd have to start with what are the first five books of the Bible? So they could, they knew this really well, and by the age of 14, they would go up to a rabbi and ask to be his disciple. Now, if the rabbi thought they were smart enough, smart enough, he'd agree to interview them. And when he interviewed them, he would ask them all sorts of questions about the Torah and often use trick theological questions to see if they were up to the task. And then, if he said yes, the young boy, young man, would leave his family, leave everything behind, and follow that rabbi, literally following in his footsteps, learning from him, so that one day he too could become a rabbi. But the rabbis were very selective, and if they didn't pass muster, he would reject them. So let me just put this all together here. The disciple picked the rabbi, and traditionally it was the Torah or the law that stood at the center of the relationship between the rabbi and his disciples, and being a disciple was a means to an end. Now, if you know anything about Jesus and the calling of the disciples, he did not follow this pattern at all. You see, God calls the unlikely in unlikely circumstances, and it often seems unreasonable. God calls the unlikely in unlikely circumstances, and it all often seems unreasonable. I mean, think about it. Here's a carpenter who, as far as we know, didn't have a, uh, another teacher, another rabbi, He didn't follow that path. He was a carpenter, became a rabbi, and now he goes out and calls fishermen, uneducated blue-collar workers. Now, they weren't despised by any means, but they certainly weren't up there on the scale, and they hadn't been fully educated. They hadn't studied to become a disciple. But that's what God does. He calls the unlikely people. Think about it. Abraham was an old man. I mean, he was old. God called him. And Sarah, his wife, Sarah, his wife, well, she laughed when she was told she was going to have children. You know, just last night, we, so we had a movie last night watched, and afterwards somebody said, we need to start to fill up the nursery. So I asked a couple of people, I said, all right, you're going to start having children? And we're like, "Mm, no, nope, don't think I'm going to take that call on. But Abraham, Sarah, Jacob, Jacob who would become Israel and the father of the 12 tribes of Israel, he cheated his brother out of his brother's birthright. Moses was a murderer who also stuttered. Samson, powerful Samson, right? Hard-headed, arrogant, and ultimately betrayed by a woman that he fell for. 
Gideon, the mighty Gideon, right? Gideon Bibles, we know all that. He didn't trust God. He says, all right, God, if you really mean it, I'm going to lay out the fleece. Have it rain just on the fleece. Okay, you did that. All right, flip it over. Now, rain everywhere else except the fleece. You know, he didn't even trust God at his word. Rahab, who would be the great-great-grandmother of King David, was a prostitute. And King David himself, as wonderful and mighty as he was, he ended up having an affair and killing the woman's husband to cover up the affair. I mean, the list goes on and on and on, doesn't it? God calling unlikely people in unlikely circumstances. Now, when I personally think about my own life, to get here today, (laughs) unlikely. I have a degree in theater, so I did all sorts of odd jobs, and ultimately, I did make a livelihood as an actor, but a meager livelihood. And then I became a professional makeup artist. I took a very hard segue into business consulting. Longer story, right? And then um, I ended up working at in corporate America for 15 years as a training and development professional, a teacher in a business setting. And my religious path, I grew up Roman Catholic. And believe it or not, it was up until seventh grade that I thought everybody was Roman Catholic. I mean, I did. There was, it was actually, it was a demarcation. I, I remember the day. I remember I was in the lunchroom. Not everybody's Catholic. I couldn't, it was like, wow. But you know what? I didn't go to vacation Bible school. I never did that. So I never learned all the songs and all the other things that people just seem to know. I feel like I've been playing catch up my entire life here. Uh, I didn't start reading the Bible until I was in my very late 20s, early 30s. And I didn't become a full-time pastor until I was 55 years old. When I wrote that down, I was like, whoa. How's that for a path to become a pastor? Right? Pretty unlikely. But God called me a number of times. He said, come here. Sometimes the call was like that. Unlikely, in unlikely circumstances, unlikely backgrounds. And it often doesn't seem reasonable. There are points I remember in my life, one time, we become a pastor, it's like, that's not reasonable. Following Jesus often seems unreasonable. For example, Going back to Luke, it says, And when he finished speaking, he said to Simon, Put out into the deep and let down your nets for catch. And Simon answered, Master, we toiled all night and took nothing. Now put yourself into Peter's place. He's a professional fisherman. I mean, he knows what he's doing. It's his livelihood to be able to catch fish. And they had fished all night, nothing. Nothing whatsoever. And now here's this rabbi, this wandering rabbi, who says, I know better than you. Go ahead, put out in the deep. He's tired. 
I mean, the, the phrase, Master, we toiled all night, really takes on the phrase, I'm weary. I've been working hard. I need a break. I need to rest. I'm just tired. I mean, how many of us, when we hear the call of Jesus, respond with something like that? Lord Jesus, you've got to be kidding. To do something now? Have you taken a look at my circumstances? Have you taken a look at what's going on right now? I'm tired. I'm too busy. I'm too old. I'm not equipped enough. God calls unlikely people in unlikely circumstances, and it often doesn't seem reasonable. But what did Peter do? Peter actually trusted Jesus and his word. Though Peter had misgivings, he trusted Jesus. He trusted him at his word. But at your word, I will let down the nets. And what happened next was truly a miracle. It says in the Gospel of Luke, and when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish, and their nets were breaking. They signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled up the boats, not boat, but boats, so that they began to sink. Think about this for a moment. They probably netted over a thousand pounds of fish in one catch. Now, if you were just to stop the account right there, you would think, well, following Jesus means that you're going to get everything that you want. You're just going to have a plethora of blessings upon your life. But that's not the point of the miracle. The point of the miracle and any miracle is not just for your well-being. It's to point you to him who is Lord and Savior. His power, his might, his majesty, his word, his promises. It's to give you assurance of the promises of God, of Christ Jesus. So at that moment, an unlikely person was called in unlikely circumstances. It wasn't reasonable. And what did Peter realize? He realized he was an unlikely sinner, an unlikely sinner. We're going to go to Luke's account here. Luke chapter 5, verse 8. When Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. Isn't that an interesting reaction? See, a lot of people, when they know Jesus as Lord and Savior, it could be a joyous thing, but for other people, they know who they are before him. And Peter knew that he was a sinner. You see, this, by the way, this wasn't the first miracle that Peter had witnessed. He'd been with Jesus at the wedding in, in Cana, so he had seen what he had knew that water turned into wine. He had seen Jesus heal a demon-possessed man. And in fact, in Luke's account of this gospel, Jesus had just healed Peter's mother-in-law. So this was not the first miracle. I mean, you would think that all those other miracles, right? All those other things would have impressed Peter enough to say, Jesus is Lord and Savior. 
So what was different about this time, this point? I mean, it's hard to tell, but here's my thoughts on this, is that for Peter, this now became personal. See, it wasn't out there with other people. It was right where Peter worked, right where Peter lived. It was up close. See, a lot of people, they hear about Jesus out there, right? Or read about him in the Bible over there. But when you actually know Jesus as Lord and Savior, it's very different. And I think perhaps maybe in that moment, finally, for Peter, his guard was let down. All of the justifications about who he is and this and that, everything was just put down, and he found himself face to face with the reality of who Jesus is. That he was in the presence of somebody who was pure, who was righteous, who was holy. And he knew that he was not. Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. Look, the same feeling came upon Abraham and Job. It's found especially in Isaiah. Isaiah says this, And I said, Woe is me, for I am lost. I am a man of unclean lips. I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. In the face of the call, Isaiah knew that he was not worthy of that call. And I look at my life, the life I've lived, and I know I'm not worthy of that call. I know I'm not worthy, apart from Christ Jesus, to stand before you this morning and to proclaim his word. And I don't say that out of false humility. I know me. I'm a man of unclean lips. And that's the thing. We aren't worthy, but Jesus is. So if you want to take anything to heart, it is this. Jesus did not come for us because we are good. He came to us because he is good. Christ calls us not because we are worthy, We are worthy because he who called us is worthy. So for Peter, coming face to face with Jesus, this was a moment of humility, a moment of faith, a moment of worship. It was a point of demarcation. And he heard the call, follow me. And Jesus said to them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. When Jesus says, follow me, it is written as and said as a command. It is not a suggestion. It is not, follow me if you feel like it. Jesus is not indifferent in his call to follow him. He's not like, eh, if you don't feel like it, no worries. No, the call is a command, follow me to follow him and be his disciple. 
And if you look in the Bible study room, up on the wall, there's a whole spectrum there. This is the ministry I have, and it is working with everybody on this spectrum. And it goes from non-believer to disciple maker. But there's a point of demarcation, you notice, on the wall. And it's moving from a cultural churchgoer to disciple. Most people become just churchgoer followers, but Jesus never said, go therefore and make churchgoers, did he? Did did he? No, no, right? Because I might have missed it, maybe. I mean, check me out, right? Check out my geography, if nothing else. But he said, go therefore and make disciples. And that's the hardest message in church throughout the world, but certainly in America. Go therefore and make disciples. Follow Jesus. By the way, Jesus called Peter a number of times. He called them to be fishers of men. But he calls them, and there's points of demarcations throughout the Gospels. As a matter of fact, the Gospel of John at the very end, Peter's like worried about the disciple John. You know, well, what about him? And Jesus says, don't worry about him. You, you, Peter, follow me. No matter who else is following, follow me. In following me, you have a new purpose, a new identity, identity, a new mission. You see, it's good that Jesus calls us many times. Because I don't know about you, but I got a pretty thick head sometimes. And so he calls. But the call to be a disciple is also found in this, to be fishers of men. In Luke's gospel, from now on, you will be catching men. Now, that that phrase doesn't really do it really well. I mean, it's a good translation, but it doesn't get to the heart of what it actually means. It really means catching men alive. You see, a fisherman, Peter, he didn't do catch and release. You, You caught, you killed, you ate, right? That's what to be a fisherman was. But Jesus says, no, you're going to be catching people alive. That's a gospel proclamation. To catch people alive is a gospel proclamation. Because what is the gospel? The gospel brings those who are dead to life, to life in Christ Jesus. And what a wonderful message it is, right? I'm a follower of Jesus, and I catch people alive. And what it is, a glorious point, to be caught alive, to go from dead to life in Christ Jesus. So God calls unlikely sinners. Jesus calls unlikely sinners to follow him now. Verse 20 from Matthew, immediately they left their nets and followed him. That was a point of demarcation, right? Now, did they know exactly what was going to happen regarding following Jesus? No, they didn't, did they? Did they even understand the cross that he would have to go to and bear? Did they understand that? No, they didn't. 
Did they understand all of the heartache and sorrows and the joy that they would have in following him? No, right? They didn't know all of this. A lot of people want everything planned out. Okay, I'll follow Jesus as long as I've got a pathway left open for me, right? I've got it all mapped out. Doesn't work that way, does it? Following Jesus is a walk of faith. Now we know how the end goes, that we are with him in heaven. A new heaven and a new earth. And there is glory and joy and love and peace and mercy abounding. But from there to there, I don't know how it's going to turn out. Look, for me to come to Arizona, I told many people this. I was more like Jonah. Go to Arizona? Don't think so, right? God said go. I didn't know how it's going to turn out. But it is to follow Jesus no matter what he says. They didn't follow Jesus because they knew how everything was going to turn out. They followed him because of who he is. Christ the Lord and Savior. See, the disciples for other rabbis, they followed the rabbi as a means to an end so that they too become rabbis. But following Jesus is not a means to a a better marriage, a happier life, more money, the car, all of that. Although, by the way, you might get that, but you might not. Following Jesus is not a means to an end. You follow him because he is the end. He is our all in all. And it is sufficient alone to follow him because he is the Christ, our Lord and Savior. Period. And it's going to be an interesting life. It's going to be ups and downs. But following him and growing in him brings you such joy and gratitude and love. It's wonderful. So Jesus called the two and then he repeated the same call. Unlikely people in unlikely circumstances, and it wasn't reasonable. And going from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in the boat with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets, and he called them. Immediately, they left the boat and their father and followed him. Now, it's not like they cut him off from their lives by any means. He was still their father. I'm sure they... They still, I mean, they stayed in the area. They would have seen him. It's not like that, but now they had a different priority in their life. And what was most important was following Jesus. They were on a mission, a ministry, the ministry of Jesus Christ. Jesus calls you to this very day through his word. And you know what? He's going to call you when it's not convenient. And when it seems unreasonable, when everything else in your life seems unlikely, 
and you're probably going to think, why is he calling me? I am an unlikely person, an unlikely sinner, and he's calling me? And the answer is yes. He is calling you. So, in the past, how have you responded to that? All of those things. I'm too busy. I've done that before. I'm too old. I'm not equipped, right? All of that. But how do you respond now, hearing the call, follow me? Gracious God, Heavenly Father, we thank you for sending your Son, Christ Jesus, our Lord and Savior. Apart from him, we are weak. In him, we are strong. So through the power of the Holy Spirit, bring us ever closer, abiding in Christ Jesus evermore. In his name we pray, amen.